0: worship an awesome God in the blue states. The the president's uh, problem is that he was born a Muslim. Not God bless America, God damn America. My Christian faith then has been a sustaining force for me over these last few years. Marriage itself is now being redefined and at a very incredible velocity. President Obama made it very clear that he wanted to be the abortion president. Amazing grace How sweet the sound Welcome to the History of Evangelicals and Politics, the Obama era. This is episode 21, The Pro-Federal Marriage Amendment Coalition Emerges. I'm John Fia. As we noted at the end of our last episode, when George W. Bush announced on February 24, 2004, that he supported an amendment to the United States Constitution banning same-sex marriage, and affirming marriage as a union between one man and one woman. The only so-called federal marriage amendment before Congress was the one sponsored by Colorado Representative Marilyn Musgrave and Colorado Senator Wayne Allard. Following the President's announcement, White House Press Secretary Scott McClellan held a press conference to clarify Bush's position. McClellan said that the Musgrave-Allard Amendment meets the president's principles in protecting the sanctity of marriage between men and women. But Bush was not yet ready to come out in defense of any particular piece of the Allard-Musgrave Amendment. There is a reason why the U.S. Constitution has been amended only 27 times. The process is not an easy one. In order to become the 28th Amendment, the Musgrave-Allard proposal needed the approval of two-thirds of the members of both the House and the Senate. At the time of Bush's announcement, it did not have such approval in either legislative body. If the votes were not available in Congress, as appeared to be the case, two-thirds of the states could request an amendment by a special convention called for that purpose. If the amendment went through Congress or through the state ratifying conventions, as these special conventions were called, the next step was obtaining the approval of three-fourths of the state legislatures or three-fourths of these ratifying conventions. This meant 38 states would have to ratify a federal marriage amendment. Interestingly enough, exactly 38 U.S. states had specific laws banning gay marriage. Some believed if the amendment got to this final stage, it just might have a shot. But that was a big if. As we also saw in our last episode, a federal marriage amendment had its backers and co-sponsors in both houses of Congress. But support for such legislation and particularly the Musgrave-Allard proposal, was weak. House Majority Leader Tom DeLay, a strong supporter of a ban on gay marriage, believed that the courts and state legislatures were more feasible paths toward this goal. We're looking at other ways of banning gay marriage, he said, knowing that it will be difficult to pass a constitutional amendment through both the House and the Senate. We don't want to do this in haste. David Dreyer, a California member of the House who co chaired Bush's 2000 presidential campaign in California, did not support a federal marriage amendment. Arizona Senator John McCain said that decisions on gay marriage should be left up to the states. Bob Barr, the former Georgia congressman who was the primary author of the 1996 Defense of Marriage Act, also opposed an amendment. Outside of Washington, New York's Republican Governor George Pataki also believed that the state should decide. As long as the Federal Defense of Marriage Act remained in place, a spokesperson for Pataki said, the governor doesn't currently see a need for a constitutional amendment. Of course, those on the Christian right were ecstatic about Bush's support for a federal marriage amendment. Paul Wyrick of the Free Congress Foundation claimed that he had been urging Bush to do this for some time and said that he would be happy to pay the mayor of San Francisco to continue to issue marriage licenses to gay couples because Mayor Gavin Newsom's actions were galvanizing evangelicals across the country. Bill Murray, not the comedian, but a spokesman for the Family Research Council, said that events over the past couple of weeks again, this was a clear reference to what was happening on the gay marriage front in San Francisco and elsewhere, have shown us that an amendment is necessary. We are very pleased that the president recognizes it. James Dobson, a focus on the family, said that Bush's endorsement of a federal marriage amendment was the linchpin in efforts to protect marriage in our country, adding The president clearly understands that families formed through the union of one man and one woman are best for America and America's children. For Dobson, it was a time of destiny for our great nation. He called the fight over same sex marriage the passion of my heart at this stage of my life, telling his followers that those supporting the amendment should be prepared to be attacked, misquoted and maligned by the liberal media, and by those whose views on marriage and sexuality are radically different from our own. Evangelicals in the 2004 presidential battleground state of Ohio supported Bush's announcement. Joyce Wagner, a 66-year-old from Bucyrus, who attended the evangelical pietist church in nearby Chatfield, told the local paper that marriage should be between a male and female, not two partners of the same sex. That's the way it should be, and it makes me sick. I almost want to throw up. Wagner then added that when she first learned about homosexuality many years earlier, she actually did throw up. Another Bucyrus resident, 44-year-old Beth Routzon, supported a federal marriage amendment because she feared that if gays were allowed to marry, there was nothing stopping liberals from redefining marriage in a way that allowed multiple partners. The stability of the family will be ruined, she said. Bush and the Christian right seem to have a significant portion of the country on their side. A January 2004 CNN USA Today Gallup poll found that Americans opposed legalizing gay marriage by a two-to-one margin and were divided evenly over whether gay couples should be permitted to form legally recognized civil unions, with slightly more people opposing the idea than supporting it. More specifically, a January ABC News-Washington Post poll found that six out of ten Americans opposed a federal marriage amendment preferring instead that each state should be allowed to make their own decisions on the matter. Many political commentators accurately saw Bush's support of a federal marriage amendment as a way to shore up his evangelical base as he sought reelection in November. Two Miami Herald writers compared the announcement to Richard Nixon's 1968 Southern strategy in which the then-presidential candidate said things on the campaign trail in order to win over Southerners opposed to the Civil Rights Movement. The Boston Globe noted that Bush's decision to support a federal marriage amendment was an appeal to the conservative rather than the compassionate side of Bush's compassionate conservative agenda that he ran on in 2000. It's relatively easy, the Globe argued. For Bush, like presidents in the past, to embrace the idea of a constitutional amendment during election season without having to follow up with any real time investment or suffer the blame if it passes or fails. Bush did his best to explain his opposition to gay marriage and support for a federal marriage amendment in a nuanced way, but nuance was difficult on such a contested issue. Three days after his announcement, in a White House meeting with German Chancellor Gerhard Schroeder, Jennifer Lovin of the Associated Press asked Bush to explain why he believed same-sex weddings threatened the institution of marriage in general. Was Bush concerned that people would perceive him to be on the wrong side of such a civil rights issue? Bush said that he realized that gay marriage was a difficult issue for a lot of Americans. He continued, I believed it was important to act because the institution of marriage was being changed by the courts, and it's an issue that's very sensitive, and the voice of the people need to be heard, and the constitutional process was the best way to do such. I believe that marriage has served society well, and I believe it is important to affirm that, that marriage between a man and a woman is the ideal, and the job of the president is to drive that policy toward the ideal. This is a sensitive debate, and it is important that people hold true to their beliefs without condemning anybody else. And so, therefore, I call upon all sides in this debate to conduct themselves with dignity and respect, but this is a debate that the nation must have. At other times, when speaking to his constituency, Bush seldom talked this way. In a March 11 speech via satellite to the National Association of Evangelicals, there were no references to civil dialogue or the dignity and respect of those with different views on marriage. Five days after Bush came out in support of a federal marriage amendment, evangelical supporters published a thank you letter to the president that appeared in major metropolitan newspapers across the country. The full page ad read, Dear Mr. President, we are deeply grateful. We deeply appreciate your longstanding and deep-seated commitment to the preservation of the family. We especially thank you for the decision you have announced to support and work for the passage of the federal marriage amendment as introduced in both houses of Congress. We can think of no more crucial issue for our nation than the preservation of the institution of marriage. As you have repeatedly pointed out, it is threatened today by courts which have enacted contrary to the constitution, making rather than interpreting the law. We applaud your courage. There have been times in our history when presidents have been called upon to make difficult decisions to protect the balance of power in our government. Abraham Lincoln did this when he refused to recognize the constitutional precedent of the Supreme Court's Dred Scott decision. We think you are making just such a stand in opposing what we view as runaway courts. Thank you, sir, for standing with the people and for doing what is right. We pledge to you we will do everything in our power to inform and to educate our constituents about the importance and urgency of this issue, both for the preservation of the family in America as well as the right ordering of our government. We will speak on behalf and to our communities, encouraging their participation in what must be a great national debate to preserve both the sanctity of marriage and our representative form of government. May God bless you as you carry out your great responsibilities. The signers of the letter represented a who's who of the conservative evangelical movement in America. These signers included Gary Bauer of American Values, Franklin Graham of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and Samaritan's Purse, Roberta Coombs of the Christian Coalition, D. James Kennedy of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Florida, Dennis Rainey of Family Life Ministries, Kelly Shackelford of the Free Market Foundation, James Dobson of Focus on the Family, Paul Wyrick of the Free Congress Association, Joel Bells of World Magazine, Rick Scarborough of Vision America, Lewis Sheldon of the Traditional Values Coalition, Richard Land of the Southern Baptist Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, Jack Graham of Prestonwood Baptist Church in the Dallas Fort Worth area, Albert Moeller, President of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Daniel Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in North Carolina. Charles Coulson of Prison Fellowship Ministries. Ted Haggard, president of the National Association of Evangelicals. Joseph Stowell, president of Moody Bible Institute. Jerry Falwell, president of Liberty University. And Matthew Staver of the Liberty Council. Other signers represented the American Association of Christian Schools, the BOT and Salem radio networks, the Church of the Nazarene, the Evangelical Free Church of America, the Assemblies of God, the International Church of the Foursquare Gospel, and the National Religious Broadcasters. What is most striking about this public thank you letter is that the signers represented constituencies who shared many of the values of the politically charged Christian right culture war organizations, such as Focus on the Family or the Family Research Council, but were not necessarily known for their political activism. A federal amendment banning gay marriage, it appeared, was something that united conservative culture warriors and the more moderate, less politically strident evangelical denominations affiliated with the National Association of Evangelicals. A majority of those denominations signed on to the letter. The thank you letter to Bush also included a reference to formarriage.com, a website where supporters of a federal marriage amendment could pay $20 for a defense of marriage kit. The kit included a marriage amendment bumper sticker, pre-prepared letters in support of the amendment addressed to Bush and members of Congress, complete with four stamped and addressed envelopes, a list of talking points that could presumably be used in arguments, debates, and conversations with those who opposed an amendment, and a list of political action groups that supported the amendment in one's local area. At the top of the defensive marriage kit order form were the words, speak now or forever hold your peace. And the form also included 18th-century English political philosopher Edmund Burke's often-cited line: The only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Focus on the Family started a similar campaign. Visitors to the Focus website could find a formatted letter to the editor that supporters of the Federal Marriage Amendment could send to their local newspapers. The website encouraged people to mail a three-paragraph letter that was no more than 225 words, and it even offered a way of finding submission guidelines and addresses for the local paper by entering a zip code in a search engine. Potential letter writers were provided with three options for the wording of each paragraph. The goal was to mix and match to create a coherent letter. For example, one option for the first paragraph of the letter read, liberals the likes of Ted Kennedy and the New York Times editorial board have crowed quite a bit in recent weeks that the federal marriage amendment would put bias in the Constitution by declaring marriage to be exclusively the union of one man and one woman. It is a specious, deceptive argument. An option for the letter's second paragraph read, The truth is, the Constitution is going to be altered one way or the other. Either that change will come from unelected, unaccountable judges intent on creating a right of homosexual couples to marry when the Constitution grants no such right, or it will come from the American people through this amendment to preserve marriage as it has served society for millennia. And a sample of a third and final paragraph read, yelling discrimination is not the only strategy liberals have unleashed to defeat this amendment, though. They also have argued that gay marriage is a civil rights issue akin to the African-American struggle for equality. No less a civil rights icon than Jesse Jackson has denounced that claim, noting that gays were never called three-fifths human in the Constitution. Indeed, Paul Wyrick was correct when he said that the legalization of gay marriage in Massachusetts and the issuing of same sex marriage licenses in San Francisco and other towns and cities had galvanized the Christian right. Meanwhile, back in the United States Senate, opponents of same sex marriage were trying to find a way to get a federal marriage amendment through Congress. In late March, about one third of Senate Republicans still refused to support the Musgrave-Allard proposal. Senator Orrin Hatch of Utah, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, drafted an alternative amendment that gave each state the right to define civil marriage as it saw fit and to protect this view of marriage from different definitions of the institution that might be embraced or upheld by other states. His amendment read, Marriage shall be defined in each state by the legislature or the citizens thereof. Nothing in this constitution shall be construed to require that marriage or its benefits be extended to any other union than that of a man and a woman. Hatch knew that any amendment proposal that did not allow states to endorse civil unions for gay couples would have no chance of getting through Congress. Even if the GOP united around the Musgrave-Allard Amendment, it would still need 17 Democratic supporters to reach the 67 votes necessary to avoid a filibuster. And the only Democratic senator who showed any support for a federal marriage amendment was Georgia's Zell Miller. Hatch's alternative amendment had support as well from Pennsylvania Senator Arlen Specter. The Christian right was furious with Hatch and Spectre. Wyrick accused Hatch of discouraging Republicans from supporting a federal marriage amendment by trying to convince them that it had no chance of passing. The Family Research Council issued a press release denouncing Hatch and Spectre. It claimed that the senators, especially Hatch, were working behind the scenes to derail the Musgrave-Allard amendment. Family Research Council President Tony Perkins said that Hatch's amendment does nothing to protect marriage. In fact, it would potentially allow for 50 different definitions of marriage and no guarantee that the courts are not the ones who define it on behalf of the citizens. Perkins concluded In short, it appears that this is an attempt to give some senators who don't want to stand up for marriage a place to hide. The battle over marriage would continue to rage through November 2004 and beyond. In our next episode, we will examine several attempts by the congressional supporters of the Federal Marriage Amendment to convince their colleagues on Capitol Hill and the American people that such an amendment was necessary. The History of Evangelicals and Politics is produced by Casey Lehman. It is a podcast for patrons of Current, an online platform that includes daily commentary, reflection, and judgment from diverse and talented writers representing positions across the political spectrum. Current also hosts The Way of Improvement Leads Home, a blog dedicated to reflections on American history, politics, religion, and academic life. This podcast is made possible by our patrons. Please consider supporting us by heading over to currentpub.com and clicking the red support button.